Don't spend summer sweating your home's AC. Right now, the Daikin Comfort Pros at Legacy Heating and Air are giving you over $1,000 in rebates when you purchase a Daikin Fit Smart System. This revolutionary system is designed to fit your space and your budget. Or upgrade to a Daikin AC today and save with payment options as low as $69 per month. Elevate your home's comfort this summer with a new AC from Legacy and Daikin. Visit LegacyHeatingAndAirInc.com to qualify now. A Cook Family Business. Welcome to Football Never Sleeps, the aspiring to be viral YouTube show all about Notre Dame football from the nocturnal crew at Inside ND Sports. I'm Eric Hansen. The guy in the square next to me is Tyler James, and we're here to talk about Notre Dame Louisville and anything that's on your mind regarding Notre Dame football as we forge ahead into week seven of the Notre Dame football season. Again, Notre Dame plays Number 25, Louisville, the Irish are ranked 10th, Saturday night, ABC, uh, third straight ranked opponent with a fourth sitting in the wings, and we've got lots to talk about, but first, Tyler James is going to take you through the technical stuff that's way above my pay grade and my um, understanding of the internet, so here he is. All right. Yes. For our folks who are new to the YouTube game, we uh, take questions during the show, so please submit them even for the folks who aren't new to the YouTube game for our, for our regulars. Um, the, you can find the comment section to the right-hand side um, of our video if you are on a desktop, and we will be on the below. The, the, the comment section will be below our talking heads um, if you're on a mobile version. Make sure you have clicked through to YouTube if you're watching us somewhere embedded, whether it's on the Insider Lounge message board or on InsideIndieSports.com. And speaking of our wonderful website, we also – are offering a 30-day free trial of InsideNDSports.com to our YouTube audience. You can use code NDYT to receive that free trial. Um, if you look in the de video description below, um, there will be a link that you can click to, and that'll take you exactly where you need to. And it should even put that promo code in for you. But in case it didn't, NDYT is the promo code, and that'll get you set up for a th free 30-day trial to check us out and uh, see what – all the fuss is about with the the stuff that we have behind our paywall with the the premium content that we provide both on our website and on the entire lounge. All right, so we're going to get right into it. Uh, Notre Dame is playing a third ranked team in a row for the first time since the 2003 season, and with the likelihood of playing four in a row for the first time since 2000 and the sixth time in school history when it hosts USC next Saturday night. Before we get into those dynamics, let's talk about the injury injury situation. Who's coming back? Uh, Tyler, why don't you fill everybody in since you wrote the injury recovery report today? Yeah, uh, another week of good news, although there was good news last week for the most part. Um, and then a, an injury snuck up on, on the team with Jaden Greathouse's hamstring. Um, but Jaden Greathouse and Jaden Thomas, both of the wide receivers who missed, Saturday's game against Duke with hamstring issues are expected to be back, so that is a much-needed boost for the passing game. Eli Raritan is expected to potentially play for the first time uh, this season after he suffered an, his second torn ACL last October, um, so almost a, a year out from that injury, um, getting a chance to, to get back on the field, so that'll be interesting to see what kind of role he plays. Uh, Eric did follow up and get status reports on the two wide receivers, who have been out for a while and, and confirmed um, that they're not expected back anytime soon. Matt Salerno is out with what um, 
Marcus Freeman keeps referring to as a serious leg injury and being out for an extended period of time. Uh, he may be able to play in a postseason scenario was what Marcus Freeman said. And it sounded like KK Smith is not going to play at all. Like they've definitely ruled him out for sure. Um, although you never know for, for certain, but it didn't sound like the way he talked yeah. about it. He said, we don't expect him to play. So um, maybe, maybe the tune's different if they have a bunch of more receivers go down, but I don't think that's in the plan currently. Um, am I missing anything, Eric? No, what, what we'll mention, and we'll go into a little bit more detail in a second is that Jordan Battello is not going to play in the first half of the game, not because of an injury, but because he got a targeting, uh, foul right. uh, in the second half of the game. But we'll get into that in a minute. I'm really want to get your thoughts first on how you think the return of the Jadens and and Eli Reardon, how that could affect the dynamics of Notre Dame's offense as opposed to what we got last week against Duke. Yeah, I mean, specifically with the re receivers that they're going to need they need those guys. I think that was pretty clear uh, that the passing game was not the same without Jaden Greathouse and Jaden Thomas. Those are guys that defenses have to respect. Um, they can make plays. They can make plays even if they're covered well. Um, and I think that can't necessarily be said for all of the wide receivers on Notre Dame's depth chart that are seeing some playing time. So I think that Notre Dame's offense will look better. And I think it, it limits what teams can do defensively against Notre Dame's rushing game too, because you have to have more respect for those guys on the outside um, than I think Duke gave respect to the wide receivers that, that Notre Dame ran out there um, on Saturday. As for Eli Raritan, I, I'm not ready to say what sort of impact he'll have on the offense until we go, sort of get to see him and what he looks like and, and how well he's playing. I think on paper, I think he's better in a split out role than stays, which they had to split out stays a lot. Um, because when they wanted to sort of go four wide at times against Duke, um, they were using two tight ends a lot. It was Mitchell Evans um, and, and Holden Stays. They would do different things with with two tight end looks and, and split those guys out. I think Eli Raritan would be a good candidate for that. Um, and we also saw Eli Raritan have success as a blocker last season. So there's definitely potential there, but I think it's it's a big unknown. So I don't I don't want to pencil sort of his impact in in terms of what he can do for Notre Dame's offense. But I do think there is the potential there. That, that he could make an impact. What are your thoughts, Eric? Yeah, I'll start with Eli first. Um, I, I've i always been high on Eli. I like his ceiling. What we saw in the five games last year, we didn't see any catches, which was really kind of the stronger part of his game coming into Notre Dame. But we saw some really good run blocking. I mean, in the limited time he did have in those first five games, he was one of Notre Dame's highest graded run blockers. So anytime you can get an additional body that can do both, I think that's good. But again, is it realistic that he's going to catch three passes or even one pass in his first game? It may take him a while just to get up to speed. But, you know, he's back 100%. You know, he was close in August and really needed to get through some of the mental hurdles with that second ACL tear in a 10-month period. As far as the wide receivers, I think this changes what Louisville can do defensively. Duke could sit on Notre Dame's running game mm -hmm. and kind of take its chances and see, you know, could Tobias Merriweather and Rico Flores and Chris Tyree beat them down the field? And then could they do it consistently while running all the reps? And the answer was largely no. I mean, 
Tobias got some pass interference penalties in some of the routes he ran, including one on himself um, in a very critical time. Rico Flores got loose later in the game. Chris Tyree did all right, but I, I thought, you know, Duke's game plan was really solid, and then they were really able to make things difficult in the run game. Uh, again, I don't think Louisville will be able to do that if I do. If they do, they're going to pay a price. So I think these are two significant returning players for Notre Dame. As far as the um, Jordan Batello sitting out the first half, I think it's interesting. Um, Marcus was asked about Josh Burnham and Junior Tui Halamaka. I think we've seen a little bit more production out of Burnham. I know that they're high on junior. Uh, but what are your thoughts, Tyler, about maybe playing Nana and Osafa Mensa and uh, Javante Jean-Baptiste together at times? Yeah, I I think uh, first I want to talk about uh, Burnham and, and Tui Halamaka. I think sometimes we make, as reporters, make the mistake um, – when we ask about two people together, then you don't really get that much about either of them. And it's more like about the duo together. And so like, I would like to know more individually about um, Marcus Freeman's thoughts on, on Josh Burnham and junior Tui Halamaka individually. But me personally, I think, I think Burnham's better as a pass rusher and Tui Halamaka is better as a run defender. So I think when Notre Dame's playing with those two, I think it has to pick its spots and make sure it has a good sense of what, how to how to utilize their strengths and i think that prevents them from being the number one viper that's why another name um is has been reliant so much on jordan batello i don't junior to halamaka played more against duke than joshua burnham that might be the first time that's happened this season i didn't go back and look to to verify that but it it seems like it and maybe it's happened once other time junior to halamaka hasn't played a lot so um, it was a bit surprising to see the frequency with which he played against Duke. Um, and now obviously that's going to pay dividends because you're going to need him even more in the first half against Louisville. Um, I, it's tough because I, I think the, the drop off from defensive end, the starters with, with, with Jordan Batella at Viper and Javante Jean-Baptiste at the, the field end position I think those guys. There's a pretty big gap between those guys and the next guys. I I was expecting to see better from Nana Osafa Mensa so far this season. I don't think he's been bad, but I think he's just been sort of average, um, and he, he isn't making a lot of di- isn't making a big difference. Now, I guess folks could say that about Javante Jean Baptiste, considering he just got his first half sack at, at Notre Dame uh, in Game Six, but. I think he's made more plays overall and, and made a bigger impact against the run as well. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I would be, I would be interested in seeing that. Um, I, I mean, it, in a perfect world, I would say, well, maybe they could play Marist at Viper some more, get, get, let Jack Kaiser get on the field, but I don't know that that's, in, that's what's going to happen. Uh, maybe Jalen Sneed plays even more in those rush, rush uh, downs in that Viper role. Um, a lot of times they would keep Jordan Botello on the field in that instance, but um, maybe maybe they have some different options that they look at to to sort of replace Jordan Botello's pass rush. What 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 do you, what would you like to see, Eric? I wouldn't mind seeing a variety of of different looks. I, I would play the two hyphenated guys together, 
JJB and Nana Osafa Mensa at times. And, and you're right. I think you do have to kind of pick your spots with Junior Tui Halamaka and Josh Burnham. I think Josh Burnham has been the better pass rusher of those two. And I mean, Jalen Sneed played one snap at Duke. And I think you need to make, get more mileage out of him. I just think that's too good of an athlete not being on the field. And again, when, you know, I'm usually the person that's talking to Al Golden the most on Tuesday nights because I transcribed the uh, interview, but, um, you know, he seems very high on Jalen Sneed. So it it's a little puzzling why that didn't fit into their game plan. Uh, so that's, that's what I, those are kind of my thoughts about the defensive line. From the interior, boy, they got a lot of production. So that should open some things up maybe from the outside if teams are a little bit more concerned about two starting interior defensive linemen who combined for 20 tackles and <laughs> each got a national award today. Yeah. So um, do we do we want to jump into questions before I get into a little bit of big picture with the uh, – Sure, yeah, we can do that. Um so we were talking about rotations and, and stuff like that. So let's do this one from Len. In a game against top competition, how deep is ND's depth? What is a good percentage for a substitute to play? 10%, 20%, et cetera. So it, they've been a little inconsistent with it. Um, it was different against Duke. I thought, you know, Al Golden thought, let's just look at the defense first. I, you know, there's not as much rotation on offense, at least not at the offensive line position. But let's look at linebackers, defensive backs, and defensive linemen. And, it, and it's still a little position-specific for that uh, uh, and opponent-specific. I mean, with Ohio State and those wide receivers, you really wanted as much Cam Hart and Ben Morrison as you could get. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there are, are some teams where you could get away with a little bit more rotation up bringing in Jaden Mickey and Christian Gray. And we saw more of them against uh, Duke, for instance. The linebackers, I think that's where I have some issues. I, I'm I'm not against shortening the defensive line rotation a little bit. Some of the starters are starting to play really well. But I think, you know, Gabe Rubio's giving you a lot of good snaps. I think Jason Anye's certainly um, in that position. And, and Jordan Botello hasn't grabbed the grabbed that number one position and really become dominant at that that place. Yeah. And until he does, I think you do have to develop and rotate the other guys. Uh, what's your thoughts, Tyler? Yeah, I mean, just in terms of like a number percentage, a, a good amount is like usually twenty to thirty percent is usually what a what a especially like on the defensive line like. Uh, Nana Osafa Mensa, I think he played maybe like 30% of the snaps against Duke. Uh, I, I think Gabriel Rubio was closer to like 20% as he rotates in with Riley Mills. Um, and so I, it, it's very position specific. It depends on who you're backing up. Like how, what is the, what is the gap between you and the guy you're, you're rotating in for? Um, and how, how exhausted is that player that you're rotating in yeah. for getting in terms of what they're being asked to do? Um, I, I, I know, like I asked both Mitchell Evans and Howard Cross after the game, how they were feeling physically, because I was like, you guys played a lot. 
Um, yeah. And then Cross is making a play to seal the victory, even though he's playing 57 snaps. Um, and and with a serious sinus infection. Yeah, that's how we found out that he had a sinus infection. He he brought that up when I asked him how he was feeling. Um, and and Mitchell Evans like, yeah, I'm tired. And Mitchell Evans doesn't leave the field. He's he's blocking a lot. He's um, obviously running pass routes, and he's he was the go-to re- receiving option for Notre Dame for the last two games. Um, and so I think in a perfect world, you'd be able to rotate Mitchell Evans off the field a little bit more, but you just need him because I, they don't – one, they didn't have receivers, so they couldn't just play Holden stays and, and play one tight end a lot. They were using a lot of two tight ends, um, and then I think you, you just you just need him out there because he's that much of a better blocker um, at, than any of the other tight ends currently available to them, at least in the Duke game. So um, you're not going to see as much rotation. I think I think there may have been a case made in the Duke game for the wide receivers who played that they don't necessarily need to be on the field as much as they always are uh, because they just weren't able to make plays. Now, obviously that's a small sample size, but um, I'll be interested to see what that wide receiver rotation looks like moving forward. If they have to keep Jaden Greathouse and Jaden Thomas on the field more than they, obviously Jane, Jane Thomas plays, plays the most of any receiver already, but do they find more ways to get Jaden Greathouse on the field um, is, is something. And, and even Chris Tyree, Chris Tyree does not play a lot. Um, yeah. Because they like to play two tight ends, and I, it seems like Chris Tyree's good for at least one or two de- decent plays in a game, but he doesn't really get many opportunities beyond that. So uh, I, I'm curious to see how that continues to evolve. Well, I, and I think Flores is the guy that's earning more playing time. I mean, mm-hmm. right now, I, I think Tobias just doesn't look like my expectations for him and a lot of people's expectations for him mm-hmm. so far. He hasn't justified the reps he's getting with the production that he's putting out there and the consistency he's putting out there, but um, okay. Do we have another question or do we? Want yeah. To- yeah. We got some more. Okay. Um, Jerry McClurg says Sam Hartman is a great QB, but he's here for just one year. We keep playing teams like Duke where we're told they've got this future NFL Q- QB. Surely ND is a better draw than Duke. Okay, you're going to have to translate that for me because I don't understand what the question is. I think is. he's asking why Notre Dame does, doesn't have a Riley Leonard or why is why can't Notre Dame develop a Riley Leonard as a quarterback that's an N- a future NFL Gotcha. Uh, now, now, remember, Riley Leonard, like Sam Hartman, was a three-star prospect coming out of high school. So they've developed him. They didn't. Right. They didn't recruit him. So that this wasn't somebody that everybody was after, um, and probably mistakenly so. And and I think it's a really good question, Jerry. Once I understood what you were asking there, because I think that Notre Dame, when Brian Kelly first got to Notre Dame, he couldn't get those guys. And I think there was a point where I think. I mean, my criticism, Tommy Reese, was he was settling for guys until Marcus got there. Mm-hmm. Then his aim went higher. And sometimes they were, you know, in the mix for guys and they lost them. But, um, I mean, the the there's a lot of very good things that happened during the Brian Kelly era. Quarterback development, consistent quarterback development wasn't one of them. And I think when you look now at what Notre Dame's getting, if you look at Kenny Minchie and then stack on top of that, CJ Carr, who's a borderline four or five star 
mm-hmm. stack on top of that another borderline four or five star and deuce night. Now you're starting to see that talent. Now, again, it's going to be up to Gino Gadouli to develop those guys. But I think if Sam Hartman has the kind of year that he's showing he could have, the first half, the second half is similar to the first half, Notre Dame will become a destination for quarterbacks. But, I mean, how many Notre Dame quarterbacks have been in the NFL the last 15 or 20 years, have had long careers or really good careers? Uh, so zero, zero. <laughs> yeah the answer is so, zero. <laughs> so jerry your point is well taken it it should have been like this and i and again i think notre dame has to be smart in its recruitment they could have had dante moore they could have had drew aller in the cycle they got steve angeli now steve angeli may turn out to be a terrific quarterback but drew aller is starting for penn state now a top 10 penn state team and playing well right and, and Tyler Buckner was supposed to be the, the guy. He was that's who Notre Dame thought was the guy, and it, it, it didn't work out in his first year as a starter. He got injured, um, and his his college career hasn't gone a, as expected. Um, but that's why you have to have multiple guys like that. You can't have right. you can't be relying on the, the Tyler Buckner or the Phil Dracovic and then just fill in the gas in between. I think Notre Dame got lucky that Ian Book surpassed expectations from what right. What he was as a recruit because they kind of settled for Ian Book too. That wasn't what who they wanted early on, and that's who they and, that's who they and settled for get. Drew Pine and settled for Brendan Clark. I mean, it was a lot of settling. Yeah, and uh, Notre Dame hasn't done that with its current quarterback recruiting efforts with back to back CJ Carr and um, Deuce Knight. So that is a, definitely a, a move in the right direction um, for quarterback play for Notre Dame. All right, Daniel Wade says, who else in the country is playing four straight ranked opponents? I haven't checked, but I did have the – you got to give me credit for having the stats on when was the last time Notre Dame did that, and it was 2000, and it was the first four opponents of that season, Texas A&M, number one Nebraska, Purdue and with Drew Brees and Michigan State on the road, and Bob Davey went two and two against those four opponents um i'm not sure and you know you could say in some years the sec west would definitely be that you could just point to that and this year it's not the case i think you're gonna see it in the pac 12 yeah once they get into their conference schedules yep that's i was looking up uh pac 12 schedules to see if there was anyone um but but USC has has off weeks in between when it uh, when it plays some of its top games and, and Oregon does too. So, um, yeah, this is a uh, this is a rare thing. I mean, it, it, Eric mentioned how long it's been since Notre Dame has done that, um, and it is a test. I, I mean, Louisville squeaked into the top twenty five to make that a stat, but um, which they they probably could have or should have lost that game against NC State last weekend and um, by by merit of having stayed undefeated going into the Notre Dame game, squeaked into that top 25. But this is a tough stretch, certainly. Um, and it's not its not like you're playing cupcakes in between the Ohio State um, and USC games. So Notre Dame um, will, will continue to be tested in between its big games on its schedule. Although I think in the latter half of the season, um, those tests won't be getting as big after the USC game in between the USC game and the Clemson game. All right. Uh, next one is from Jeffrey Stevens. Lo- uh, Jeremiah Love took the ball on the fake punt versus Duke. Is that his usual position on the punt team, or was that a tell? 
I don't know that, to be honest with you. I, I believe that's not his normal position. He's usually outside as uh, more of a gunner than that spot. And if you look, if you watch, if you replay the play even once, you'll see Notre Dame lined up all of its protector, all of its linemen on the, on the punt team to that side. So they gave the play away right away. Um, and, and Duke did not respond right away. And so they, I think they were going for it no matter what. They, Notre Dame liked it the way it could run up. It, it, and it ran up pretty quickly. Like they broke the huddle and, and ran to the line and said, all right, we're going. And, and Michael Vincent's going to snap it way to the side to Jeremiah Love. And he's going to go outside and have a, have a good lane at it. So I think it was, it was more of a design thing um, that Notre Dame was ready to do. It wasn't like this is how we normally line up. And we saw something in Duke's punt return unit. Um, it was something that Notre Dame had decided to do. And Marcus Freeman talked about it. Like, that's something that we wanted to do. That was the area of the field we were looking to do it. And it just so happened that it was the first drive that we were in that area of the field that I was ready to pull the trigger on that on that play. I think they'll have some other variations of fake punts, too, because Bryce McPherson is a heck of an athlete. He was a state finalist in the jumps, in the triple jump, long jump. He was a sprinter. And he was the state championship wrestler, so if you get in a brawl, he'll be handy in that after the fake punt. If you're running up the score with a fake punt, he can get involved in the brawl. All right, I want to pull up this one here from Legion of the Leprechaun, which is a Facebook group that we've been uh, doing some work in and communicating with and spending time in that community. It says, what's up, gentlemen? So what's up, Eric? What's up is I'm loving the Legion of the Leprechaun. Uh, we got to be they have a public group and a private group on facebook and they've embraced our content and so forth and we've gotten a lot of feedback from their members uh chad is the leader of the leprechaun or at least the one that dms me <laughs> and and so uh i've i've really enjoyed this relationship with them so what's up is we're really happy to have you yeah, and they do they do tailgates before home games. I think I, one of us needs to find our way over there, and it would probably be me because you're busy doing the, the pregame <laughs> I have show. The radio show, yeah. unless unless you want to tailgate the radio show. <laughs> well, you know what? Maybe on location, that might be more fun. <laughs> um, Frank Sarah asked, what, "Should Notre Dame replace Rocco Spindler at guard for the Louisville game?" I'll let you take this. Um, I don't think so. I don't think Rocco played – I mean, I don't think Rocco was necessarily the worst part of Notre Dame's offensive line against Duke. I think probably if you look at all six games, I would th say he's might be – he's probably the fifth of, of the five. Uh, but I thought he played really well against Ohio State. Um, and so I, 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 don't, I don't think that he would be taken out of the starting lineup or should be taken out of the starting lineup unless – they're seeing tremendous growth from Billy Shrouth, and they're confident that he can be better than him um, right now. Uh, I don't think you make that move because it's you're, there's gonna it's it's very rare for you to sub someone in and just like everything's clicking and there's no there's no hiccups and and so even if Billy Shrouth is better than than Rocco Spindler, he's gonna maybe not have the same sort of communication with other guy and then the other guys and then so then maybe you have more errors because of communication. Um, than because of talent level. So uh, I don't think uh, that would be – this is the time to make that move currently. I, I think if you were going to make any offensive line move, and I'm not advocating for them to replace Rocco at all, 
you would at this point do it at the bye week. You're close enough to the bye week. You want to keep this continuity. If you really feel like there's a big problem somewhere, at least you have time to work it out. And then you would be doing it with the thought of winning one game, and that's Clemson and it's difficult front seven. That would be the game that you're concerned about guard play more than the others. Um, Pitt has done some things against the run. They're awful against the pass. Um, and then Stanford and Wake Forest are not games where Notre Dame is expected to be challenged. So you would be doing this for the Clemson game and then the postseason. You're going to make a change. All right. Chris Swain has a sort of some information rather than questions. We can turn into a question. Uh, back shoulder pass. Look at Sam Hartman's 2022 highlights. 70% of his big passes are, are back shoulder passes. You don't need a burner for a back shoulder pass. Haven't seen one this year. Are you surprised that we haven't seen more back shoulder throws, Eric? Um, no, but I, I in the you know I don't think Chris is wrong in that. I mean, he certainly watched more Wake Forest than I have seen, but I do seem to remember in the Clemson Wake Forest game seeing that and going okay. Um, but I mean. I think some of it is um, Jared Parker designing plays where the receivers are trying to get yards after the catch, and he's trying to catch them on the move and stride rather than doing a back shoulder catch. I mean, maybe we'll see that more if Notre Dame gets into the red zone more. And, and you know, I mean, Great House seems like a guy that would be really good with that. The tight end seemed to be guys that would – Jaden Thomas – I guess a lot of those guys weren't playing last week. So, but I think that's an interesting question, um, Chris. But um, again, I think some of it's play design. Uh, Jared Parker versus what's Wake's um, offensive coordinator? Remember the guy's name? Oh, no. Is it the Rocco? Is guy? It, is it Rocco something? Um, Rocco I think Spindler? It, no. <laughs> Uh, dang it. Now I can't think of it. Uh, okay. I feel like it's, it might be Italian, but now I'm probably just insulting people. Um, <laughs> well, now um, I'm hungry. I'll, I'll let you yeah. Google it while I, while I, while I filibuster. Okay. Um, I think that I, I am surprised that we haven't seen more of it. We saw some in the preseason and even going back to the spring, I think uh-huh. Jaden Thomas would be the person that I would be best at it. Did you find the name, Eric? Yeah. Warren Ruggiero. Warren Ruggiero. So the last name is sort of Rocco-ish, so that, <laughs> but not really. Well, Italian, definitely. <laughs> okay, so I was at least half right. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, I am surprised by it. I wonder, I mean, Sam Hartman's interceptions have gone obviously way down. He hasn't thrown one. And I wonder if Notre Dame is just more interested in protecting the ball than putting it in scenarios where it could be intercepted. Now, if it's a perfectly thrown back shoulder throw, there's not a lot defend defenders can do against that, but if Sam Hartman doesn't have the trust with those wide receivers to make those plays, then that's it's it's tough to do. And if if you if it's, if you're not doing it successfully, it's a wasted play. I mean, we and Notre Dame is. I don't think Notre Dame is a good team when they get behind the sticks when they're when it's second and ten or third and ten. Uh, they're a much better team when it's second and six and third and six. Uh, so maybe that's part of it that they feel like the, the percentage of them completing those back shoulder throws is is way lower than what it was for Sam Hartman at Wake Forest with with Notre Dame's wide receivers, um, and so uh, 
the one that was ended up sort of being a back shoulder was that one that Tobias Merriweather had the pass interference on. Um, he he fought off and uh, got pass interference, and then he didn't catch the ball either. So um, it has not been a big part of Notre Dame's or yeah Notre Dame's offense. So I, I think that's uh, I'd be surprised if we saw a big switch to that if they haven't already incorporated that. Uh, Ray asked this question, and there was a lot of questions that followed up. Uh, can Notre Dame score 30 points this season? And folks rightly chimed in. You, you mean in the second half of the year, you mean after scoring 30-plus the first four games? And then Daniel Wade probably asked the best way to phrase it. Can they score 30-plus against good teams is what I'd like to know. Well, I'm going to take a look real quick here and look at what the strengths of the teams they have coming up. So – um, Notre Dame has played two pretty good defenses the last couple of weeks in Ohio State and Duke. Um, Ohio State is sixth in total defense. Duke is 19th. And Clemson is the only team left on the schedule or previously on the schedule that's in that realm. Pitt is awful against the pass. USC is 98th. Louisville is decent, 37th in total defense, but the one better than average defense they played was Georgia or offense they played was Georgia Tech and they coughed up 34 points. So there's a little bit of mirage effect with Louisville's ranking there because they played Indiana and Murray State and Boston College, not juggernaut offenses. Right. So I think it's could they average 30 a game over the last Half of their schedule, yes, I think they could average. Are they going to do it every game? Uh, I don't I don't know that they would do it against Clemson. If they do it against Louisville, I think they definitely do it against USC, Pitt, Wake, and Stanford, and then we'll see what happens against Clemson. Yeah, I think USC and Clemson are the, or would be the biggest concerns there. Um, I think you can beat Clemson without scoring 30 points with the way its offense can play sometimes. I don't think you can beat USC without scoring 30 points. Um, Caleb Williams is just too dynamic. I, at least that's my perspective. We'll, we'll be able to find out in a couple weeks, but, Drew uh, Pine put up 28 points on USC. Yeah. And I don't know that their defense is better. I, it might be worse than it was last year. Which it was 90, 98th. That's pretty bad. <laughs> so, um, uh, I think I can tell you what it was last year. Keep talking. Yeah. I, I think Notre Dame is going to have opportunities to put up points like it did earlier in the season, but it does matter. And it is interesting. I mean, Ohio State's defense is great. Uh, I, I wasn't surprised that that was low scoring. I was a bit surprised that the Duke game was low scoring, but I think that has a big part to do with the, the lack of receivers that Notre Dame had that that really made Mike Elko, who's a good defensive coach, give him an even better hand to play because he didn't have to be as worried about what Notre Dame's passing game could do on the outside um, and and really was able to gum up things for Notre Dame's uh, running game and, and limit what, what the Irish could do. Okay, so they've improved from 105th in total defense to 98th. Now, they haven't played Notre Dame or very many Pac-12 teams yet. Yeah, they got a lot. Some really good offenses in the Pac-12, so that number's going down. <laughs> All right, Mike in Oklahoma asked, with 16 seconds left, why did we not just kneel? Instead, we ran, we ran estimate. This is the last possession after he scored. Um, and I, I know what Mike is talking about. I believe it's because Duke had three timeouts still. And so Duke could have just taken timeouts after every kneel. Um, and then 
what does Notre Dame do? Like just try to run out more time or to kick a field goal. And then after uh, estimate he got, I don't know if it was nine yards. It was a, it was a decent run. Elko was like, we're not going to use the timeouts. Yeah. Let's just let it go. Um, and so I think that was why uh, Notre Dame didn't kneel uh, on that very first play. At least they didn't try to kick a field goal. <laughs> and we will talk about that later. That's all the questions I got, Eric. So we can get back to some of the okay. things on your list. Before we get into some of the um, cleanup from the Duke game, I wanted to talk about the approach to playing four teams, four really good teams in a row. Again, this is the sixth time in school history. I think Notre Dame's made it through that stretch undefeated once in the previous five times. They've already lost one, so they're trying to go three and one, which would be the second best performance. But from a from a physical standpoint and from a emotional psychological standpoint, what did you like and what, if anything, concerned you about Marcus's approach, uh, what he talked about today in the press conference? Yeah, I mean, I think I think what I liked the most about what he talked about was that it's just as important to correct the mistakes in a win against Duke as it is as important to correct the mistakes in a loss against Ohio state. Um, the approach should be the same. You, you, there were a lot of things that happened in that Duke game that Notre Dame can correct. And yes, you, you feel better about it coming off or coming off of a win, but that doesn't mean you need to put any less emphasis in those mistakes um, that were made and, and getting to the bottom of why they were made and addressing them and making sure that they don't happen again. So especially as it relates to penalties, Notre Dame needs to do that. Um, and then, but just like, this is a, this is a tough stretch. Like we talked about earlier, the four ranked teams, the four night games, it's, it's, it's a physically taxing stretch for Notre Dame. I, I don't know the night game part of it. I don't know that it matters as much. Um, especially if USC was at USC and you're coming all the way back from LA in that stretch, I think it would be, it would be a little bit tougher and that's at the end and you got a bye week after that anyways, but it, it, it makes for late nights. I mean, <laughs> unfortunately we actually have later nights than they do after, after games, but we don't actually get beat up <laughs> while we're watching the game. Um, so I, it's certainly something that they need to monitor and figure out how to address those dur- during the week. But I think by the time Tuesday rolls around for the most part, when you you're wanting to get the most out of your players, those guys should be well rested and in, in a good spot to to put forth the effort that's required to sort of improve. Because you can't you can't correct mistakes by just talking about them. You have to like put them to to work and be tested and, and do them in, in full speed moments um, to make those so, sort of uh, adjustments to sort of register and, and commit to memory. Yeah, I would say I'm glad we don't take questions on our post game takeaways <laughs> because. We would you would have had two guys. The caffeine was laughing at me. It was like this isn't working at that point. I think where it was around five in the morning when we were doing that. Um, but so I liked a couple things here uh, because I, this is a these are elimination games for Notre Dame with the playoff, and it's also the games that are going to lift it the most. It's going to change the perception whether Notre Dame is a college football contender or not. Mm-hmm. They're not going to get many opportunities in November. Clemson on the road, provided Clemson hasn't lost again. But the last two games, no matter what Notre Dame does against Wake Forest and Stanford, there are teams it's going to be competing against that are going to be playing 
bigger and better opponents and more more room to impress. So this is Notre Dame's avenue to impress. I like from a psychology standpoint, Marcus is making this small picture. Let's focus on improvement. Let's focus on the mistakes. He's got a laundry list, the penalties, the three for 15 on third down. So he's that's that's working for him. I also like how he's leaning into sports science on this, that they're deciding on an individual basis, okay, who do we need to back off on practice? They have these GPS, catapult GPS trackers. And and this is the late, you know, the leading edge in sports science. And it tells you things like a sprint rate. How much is a player sprinting? How much is he jogging? Is he, are you overworking him? What's his reps look like? How many times is he getting hit? How many times is he getting hit? So yeah. you can monitor all that and then you can make your decisions based on, on these analytics. And Marcus uses his instincts and says, okay, let's maybe back this person off and practice a little bit. Uh, this one's good to go. And so I like that approach. And then you're also taking into account the calculus of, hey, these guys have really difficult classes and when you get home from road trips and that stuff. So I like this approach. And again, we're not getting up to the fever pitch that Ohio State was. You could never do that four weeks in a row. I mean, this is kind of a business trip thing. And for the first time in three weeks, you don't have college game day at the location. Now, USC may go back to that fever pitch if Notre Dame wins this game and starts moving up in the rankings a little bit more. But I do, I do give Marcus credit with his approach. Way more credit than his thoughts about Audric Estime going down on the one. I am really having trouble with that. Let, let, should we talk about that? Do, do we, is yeah, there, let's, let's let's just go come to that. that since you mentioned it. Yeah. Uh, so, do you want to set it up for anyone that isn't aware okay. of the 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 situation, the the opinions that Marcus Freeman has shared? Okay. So, for those of you who are in Antarctica over the weekend, <laughs> Notre Dame converts a fourth and 16 and has the ball on the 30 uh, inside of a minute. And they were going to center the ball to kick a long field goal with Spencer Schrader, who was five for 10 on the season, but ha certainly 47 yards length isn't uh, an issue. And I don't have an issue with that. What I had an issue was Otter estimate breaks from the mosh pit, runs to the end zone and scores with how much time was left, Tyler? A minute. 30, I think it, I thought it was thirty-one seconds. Thirty-one seconds. You're right. Thirty-one seconds. Thirty-one seconds left. Duke has three timeouts, and Marcus wanted Audric to go down at the one, and then set up for a field goal, an eighteen-yard field goal from the one. Run the clock down. Obviously, I hate that idea. Um, we had somebody on the board that came up with one more reason why that wasn't great: the snap, the hold. A guy that's five for ten and kicking the pressure. He said, "What if somebody in the stands was distracting him with their beauty?" And uh, so there's so many things that could go wrong. It could get blocked. Uh, I, well, I just, not, there aren't a lot of fans on that. Uh, for those who weren't in the stadium, there aren't many fans on that end zone in, in, at Duke Stadium. They're, they have just a little bit like a. a it's like temporary seating that they brought in for the yeah. game. There's not really seating in that. It's a big, there's, that's where their big jumbotron video screen is. Um, I, so I'm, I'm the complete opposite. I have more problem with them 
centering the ball for a 45-yard field goal <laughs> attempt from Spencer Schrader. Like, that, that is crazy to me. Yeah, um, I would have wanted to get closer. Um, so that, that was why I asked the question post game, which brought out this answer from Marcus Freeman. Um, that I just thought maybe this world punchy at that point. Yeah. And then he had a chance to walk it back twice today, and he didn't. no, he, he's adamant. And he is right about the analytics. Like you have, you're eliminating Duke's chance of winning. Um, but you're not ensuring your chances of winning. You, I mean, what, what's what are the odds that you win a game on, a, on, a, on an extra point essentially? Because that's that's what it would have been. Um, and Spencer Strader doesn't have problems with extra points, he has problems with 40 yarders. Um, so I think it would have worked if they did what Marcus Freeman is saying. Um, but it, no one would have felt good in the moment. You would have if it sort of didn't a, work. He, he would have been run out of town. There would have been for sale signs on his yard. Not saying I would have put one of them up there, but I'm just saying. Yeah. Well, that's why. Ohio that's State what, game with. That's what I was imagining. Especially was like, if they had 10 men on the field goal team. <laughs> well, at least the logic behind that, I think, is sound. Like, there's numbers to back that up. The logic behind attempting a 45 yard field goal does not make sense to me, given the numbers that Spencer Schrader has shown. I would not like that. I just like, I, I just want, it was, it was. Audric scored. I was like, wait a minute, why did they run the ball there? And and then it's like, well, they were gonna settle for a field goal. I was like, really? That's what you're gonna do? Spencer Schrader's that reliable? You're just gonna now I know you don't have a lot of confidence in your passing game, but man, that was that was uh, to me the worst case scenario, which I guess in your opinion is if they they go down to the one and then miss that field goal. To me, it would have been worse than if you don't even you just settle for a 47 yarder and Spencer Schrader misses it. It's like I don't know. Like, I feel like, I don't know. I guess they're both equally terrible. You lose either way, but I thought the uh, best case scenario actually happened that Audric. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think it made everyone feel the best in the moment. Um, But uh, I mean, I was, were you confident that Notre Dame was going to stop Duke with three timeouts? I I don't know that I was given the way so much has happened. Now, granted they're going to go down and and they're probably just going to score, score anyways, but. Uh, or if they scored in that situation, they got it'll be they would be tied anyways. Right. Um, because I, I had with version. 31 seconds left to have to get a touchdown, especially after Notre Dame got the two point conversion, that, that they'd have to get a touchdown and an extra point to send it into overtime or a touchdown. And I mean, it wasn't like they were going down just to get a field goal, and their field goal, their field goal kicker had missed two himself in that game, yeah. So and and had they not got the two point conversion, they still would have had to get the touchdown right. to win and not send it in overtime. So I, I mean, this defense has played pretty good. You know, again, you know, the guy at Ohio State, uh, I forget their quarter. Kyle McCord got down the field, but it wasn't in thirty one seconds. Yeah, and it what there's no Marvin Harrison on that team. Sure. So and and. Riley Leonard, as brilliant as he is, was 12 of 27 in that game. So I don't know. I mean, I, I love Riley Leonard. I take him on my team in a heartbeat, but I take my chances on Notre Dame's defense there. I, it just seemed to me like anytime Dukes went five wide and empty, 
the middle of the field slant was open every time. So they could have got, they could have done three of those. And then all of a sudden they, they just need one more completion and they're, they're in, they're in, they're in a, a Hail Mary range. So I think that, uh, I, think- I still like Notre Dame's corners over. I mean, I love the Calhoun kid. He had a 27. Yeah, but, I, but right my point is shoot. like, they're not even testing the corners. They're just throwing it over the middle. Cause they have the timeouts. They don't have to even test the corners. Um, and that was why well, as long up. as it wasn't a goal line pass, I think they were okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. While we're hammering Marcus and I do like Marcus Freeman, I think he is the right guy for Notre Dame. So take this in that context, the penalty thing, his explanation for the penalties, both post game and today, I wasn't very jazzed with, I, I felt like, <laughs> You know, he explained it. He said, you know, crowd noise and the clap and stuff. Look, if you think Duke was loud, Clemson is going to make Duke seem like the library. Because, <laughs> yeah. um, and and there should have been nonverbal communication, or at least that should have been an option once you started to have some issues. Now, again, I like the fact that Marcus says, you know, we're not just going to say we're going to get better and then, not really find the answers. I mean, they, they're going to be exhaustive and looking for the answers. I just think in this case, that should have been something that they didn't have to learn from the Duke game because they're going to get it again this week and they're going to get it on November 4th. I guarantee you that. Right. Um, they won't get it on November 26th or whatever that is, 25th at Stanford. They'll get a tree and a weird band, but not the noise. I went on a sort of a tirade against clap cadences uh, years ago when Notre Dame was doing it with Ian Book, and it was terrible. They had all kinds of false starts. Um, I so remember. If if that returns and it becomes a part of the offense, and they keep having false starts, I might I might lose it. But <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think people teams are going to do some of the same things. I I think I asked Marcus if like there's communication that's happening about why these are being called, and usually like. The one that seems crazy to me, how does Cam Hart get called for offsides on the goal line? Like he's a cornerback. How does it and usually like the wide receivers are talking with the linesmen, like, hey, am I on the line? Am I off the line to make sure that they're declared whether or not they're on the line or off the line to to to, to, to distinguish who's eligible receivers? And if Cam Hart lines up offsides, isn't that guy gonna like, hey, back up? But I guess that isn't happening. Jordan Batello gets called up offside uh, offsides for lining up offsides. The, the field goal one where it seemed like they're getting set. To me, it seemed like these were all things that Duke – now maybe I, now I could be making this up, but it seemed like these are things that Duke pointed <laughs> out to the refs. Like, hey, look for these things. They're doing these things. You can call penalties on them, and then they probably saw them. I'm curious if Notre Dame is doing a good job of pointing out things that other teams are doing and, and making officials aware of them. Because Duke only got called for two penalties, I think, um, and Notre Dame was 12, so – you could also you, people want to think it's like a conspiracy from the ACC, but I wonder if if there are things that Notre Dame can be doing to do a better job of preparing the officials for things that they do that maybe are borderline or have a tattletale GA or just, yeah yeah like hey like this is something that we notice in film watching uh, Duke do like look look for it and then and then maybe they're a little bit more cognizant of it and and um, call penalties on the other team so there are definitely. Th- there's definitely rooms for improvement. It's, it's kind of mind blowing how many penalties there were. And, and it just seems and, and to be pretty Sam simple Hartman, things. 
would be familiar with all those different things and say, hey, look, we tried the clap thing at Wake Forest, <laughs> and that wasn't great because it got our fans confused who liked the golf clap. <laughs> well, it does work elsewhere. I don't know. Notre Dame, at least for my tracking of it, hasn't done a good job with it. Yeah. All right. Okay. Do we do we want to go to questions or move on now? I don't think we have any questions. It's mostly people just chiming in with what we've been uh, uh, discussing. Okay, so well, let's take a, a look at Louisville's thumbnail overall. Um, Before I just want to chime in, Eric. I do want to talk about like MVPs and stuff. Yeah. Um, so let's not talk about Louisville for too long. Okay. The one thing I think that we'll mention is Jack Plummer. This is sure. the third time that Notre Dame will have gone against Jack Plummer for the third year in a row and with a third different team. He was played at Purdue, got replaced late in the game by Aiden O'Connell, who's playing the NFL now. Um, then he went to Cal. They sacked him six times. That was in the Drew Pine. That was Marcus's first win was over Jack Plummer being the quarterback. His dad being Jake Plummer, former NFL quarterback and Arizona State All-American. Now they're going to see him for the third time. He's having a pretty good year, 17th in the country in pass efficiency, six interceptions, though. So who benefits, Plummer from seeing Notre Dame for a third straight year or Notre Dame for seeing Plummer for a third straight year? I agree with Jay Golden. He's no Jake Plummer. He's no Jake Plummer. Um, and he's not very mobile either. Um and so I think Notre Dame benefits for it. I think they probably have the book on on Jack Plummer. I think he can be turnover prone, and that's something that Notre Dame can take advantage of. I think he's a fine college quarterback, but he's not one that I think should scare Notre Dame. Obviously, I think Louisville has some playmakers that, that could make a difference. Jamari Thrash is their wide receiver who is really good. He's averaging 20 yards per catch. Um, this season, he has 22 catches for 444 yards and five touchdowns. That is someone that Notre Dame will need to account for. And certainly, you like what Notre Dame's been able to do from its defensive back position to be able to potentially handle that. The running back, Jawar Jordan, is, is pretty good as well. Um, so there are decent pieces on that offense. I think it's a probably, I don't know, I guess Cal had some good weapons on its offense last year, too, with the running back. Um, and J. Michael Sturdivant as the wide receiver, I thought was pretty talented as well. So um, I think Notre Dame should should be able to do well against Louisville's offense. Um, stopping the run will be important, and that's something that NC State did. And you asked Marcus, I think it was you who asked Marcus if there was anything that you could Notre Dame yeah. could learn from what NC State did. Um, I, I tend to agree with what Marcus said that the three three five that that NC State runs is so different than what Notre Dame does that there isn't a lot of alignment with that. But um, the but one thing that you can take is he did not respond well to their pressure. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and, I, and, and, and in the disrupting a running game, you, you penetrate, you fly the football and tackle. I think tackling is, it continues to be a concern for Notre Dame's defense. It's so weird that Notre Dame is a good defense. I think by most metrics you would consider Notre Dame a good defense, but their tackling is just not, at the level that you would expect for a good defense. So um, I don't know if Notre Dame is what it is at that point. Like we're six games in the season. Is Notre Dame going to be a better tackling team now than it was to start the season? Let uh, Howard Cross do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let the guys that are best at tackling tackle, but I don't think he's tackling many wide receivers. Don't, don't so. let them get to the other people. Just let Howard go do it. 
13 <laughs> tackles every let, game. Let them take care, take care of that. Okay, let's go to our kind of mid-year uh, review. Our, yep, go ahead. Uh, you want to go to our mid-year review, or did we have a question we needed to get? No, no, no. Uh, mid, uh, well, Stephen Robert did chime in here with, didn't USC defense handle ND last season? It handled Notre Dame's running game, but it didn't handle Notre Dame in terms of scoring. Drew Pine was able to pass the ball pretty I well. I mean, what, what what the difference was, I mean, USC just said, we're going to sell out against the run, which they weren't very good against, and we're going to dare Drew Pine to beat us with his arm. And Drew Pine had a good statistical game against USC, but, again, he couldn't make them pay for it. Now they have a quarterback that does have the kind of arm that can make you pay as long as the Jadens aren't sidelined. <laughs> All right, let's let's get to the, the first half okay. review now. Okay, so the first half review, Notre Dame is 5-1. and one. And I wrote about this in my analysis, so I'm not going to spill all the beans from that. But uh, the one thing I will say is every week I chart 24 key statistical categories, nine on offense, nine on defense, five special teams, and then the standalone turnover margin. And I look back, is Notre Dame better at midseason than they were at the end of last season? And 15 out of the 24 they are. Um, let's talk about first half MVPs other than Sam Hartman. I think that probably would be our choice. Am I, am I reading your mind? Um, I would probably go Joe Alt. Um, well, that's why I went as the non Sam Hartman answer. Just be, I, when you have a, a, a left tackle that's playing as well as Joe Alt is, I mean, if they didn't have Joe Alt, I mean, I, I guess that if they had Steve Angeli out there, I don't know that they'd be a very good offense either. But no, um, they wouldn't have won Ohio State or Duke. They wouldn't have won either of those games, and I'm not sure they win the NC State game with Steve Angeli. Right. So yeah. I mean, I, I would accept those arguments on either of those. I think Mitchell Evans is the sneaky one. Like I don't, I don't know what. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely most improved, I would say, maybe. or Well, and he missed the game, and then he wasn't even targeted in the first game. So he's got all those stats. He's Notre Dame's leading receiver with basically in four games. So, yeah, I, I had him in the conversation. Who else? Um, Defensively, Howard Cross. I mean, you just mentioned that. <laughs> Let him tackle everybody. Uh, he's leading he's Notre team. Dame's <laughs> leading tackler, and he's <laughs> yeah. the nose guard. Yeah, that's, he's that, also that's the leader ridiculous. in tackles for loss. Now he had all of those in this game, but he is the leader for the season in tackles for loss. He's also Notre Dame's leader in forced fumbles, which he had two in this game. Um, ben Morrison. Ben Morrison. Yep. His his stats aren't great, but his what he does to other people's stats is really what you need to pay attention to. Right. And he he's a stat wrecker for whoever he's going against. Um, yeah, and I, I think Cam Hart has played well on the other end, of, uh, other opposite side of him too. I think both of those guys have really changed what defenses can do or offenses can do against Notre Dame's defense. And and Audric's certainly in the um, conversation. I mean, he's one of the leading rushers in the country. He's in the top ten in yards per carry at seven point one. I think he is. He's he's in the top six right now, all time for season rushing average if he can maintain that or improve that do you know who number one is oh no josh george, adams 
George Gipp. Josh Adams is ahead of Audric, but George Gipp is number one. All right. Win one for the Gipper, 8.2 yards Gipper. per carry. And Reggie uh, Brooks is second. I think that I don't even know where I was going to say. I, oh, I, I want so I wanted to bring up the topic of who did we spend the most time or who did we spend too much time talking about in the preseason? We talked about our MVPs, and maybe this is this is more criticism of us than it is of the players. Um, well, let's criticize ourselves because we criticized everybody else, even except our questioners, except for the Leprechaun Legion. I'm not going to criticize them; they're awesome. Uh, who 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 do you feel like we talked about in the pre? Maybe we can go one at a time with names that we that we feel like we talked about too okay. much. Okay, I'll, I'll start. Tobias Merriweather. Yeah, Merriweather's on there. Antonio Blake Fisher. Antonio Carter. Antonio Carter, Blake uh, he's, Fisher. His his impact on the defense has been minimal. Jalen I'm not Steen. saying that Blake Fisher has been bad, but he hasn't played at the level I expected. Yeah, he's not a he's not a first round draft pick next year, which people started to put that that uh potential on him, but he, he hasn't played to that level. Maybe Botello, but it was more the ifs with Botello. I, I still think he's not been the penalty not setting the edge guy you know the the bad jordan botello scenario he just hasn't been the surprisingly good jordan botello either yeah um uh jay golden has a good one jason anye he hasn't he hasn't had the kind of impact that i think we thought he might he hasn't but he has played well when he has played he's graded out well yeah and it's hard to figure because i think uh, Cross and Mills have been Notre Dame's best defensive linemen, so they got to figure out a way to to, right. to use and all Rubio those guys. coming back. Rubio is changed things. Yep, changed things. I mean, he's really good. But yeah, Jason Anye, I was that was my guy. Spencer was, Schrader, we probably hyped him up too much, right? Well, I, I think in terms, I mean, Kurt <laughs> Herb Street was way more hyping him up. <laughs> hey, he's going to kick it into the next county, and. and we were saying his length. I said, Hey, I don't know about his accuracy, but in terms of length, there, you know, I mean, the guy at Clemson couldn't kick a 20 some yarder. I mean, I, <laughs> I refuse to believe that guy could kick a 70 yarder in practice. I mean, there must have been gale force wins the day that that happened. Well, yeah, he was so good in practice that they bought it, brought up a guy out of retirement to replace him for, so, for the halfway point of the season. But Spencer Schrader's length has, I mean, he set the school record for length, the, the right. field goal. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. accuracy, we weren't, we weren't saying, Oh, yeah, this guy's never going to miss. Mm hmm. So, um, I think that's all, all in terms of the hype train probably. Yeah. Those are, those are all the guys I had on my list of, of guys that I, I, you or I thought would do, do really well this season. Um, I mean, Eli I Raritan, I think. right about some people too. I mean, I, oh, for a, sure. I'm not like, yeah. Xavier Watts honk. And, and I think that's come true. Or, I mean, people that necess hadn't necessarily proven themselves. We both were high on Jeremiah love. We liked Rico Flores the first time we saw him in practice. Yeah, and Jaden Greathouse. I mean, yeah. the the I think everyone was on the Jaden Greathouse train after the the Blue Gold game, but um, I think. But I that, mean, even the first practice. Remember, we were walking out and we were like, Rico Flores looks fast. You know, I didn't <laughs> yeah. expect him to be. You know, because again, sometimes you're going by the recruiting hype and right, and you're like, okay, you know, and I, I mean, I think Christian Gray when he's played, he's been impressive. Um, 
I feel so, so I do I do that top twenty five thing with Douglas Farmer where he asks different people from the beat to rank their players going into the season. I don't know where I rank Mitchell Evans, but I believe I was pretty high on him compared to others. And I'm feeling pretty good about that one right now. I included Holden stays in my top 25 towards the back end. And I think some people thought Holden might even surpass Mitchell Evans by the end of the season. And I don't, I, I think we've seen that Mitchell Evans can be a receiving threat in addition to uh, being a helpful blocker as well. I think Holden can have some good games though, too. I still think Eli Raritan can get involved in, you know what? I mean, in a small, very small sample size, Cooper Flanagan has graded out very well. In the, yeah, and he he, sur- he supplanted David Sherwood's role, at least in this past game. David Sherwood didn't play any on offense, and, and Cooper right. Flanagan did. I had to double-check to make sure David Sherwood played on special teams to see if there was an injury, but he did play on special teams, so I don't think it was injury-related. It was just they liked what Cooper Flanagan's been doing for him. Okay, do we have any pressing questions, or do we want to do a quick recruiting um, Daniel Wade asked about the the officials being able. Okay. I'll just read it. How are the officials able to review that punt to see if it was a touchback when punts are not a reviewable play illegally? And Marcus <laughs> said as much today. Uh, the ACC office said they blew it, and that's the end of it. I guess you get a spanking, or uh, I could I could have asked Marcus like twenty questions about officials today. <laughs> like, so what is his recourse? Can he do anything in the moment and say, "Hey, you're not allowed to do this"? I don't know. He may have, he may have even done that. Um, but like, what, what is, what is, what's he to do? Like, he's just supposed to sit on the field and say, you're not allowed to do this. I don't, I don't know what, what the recourse is in the moment. It, uh, but they, they, for some reason they thought they could do that. Um, and, and, and I mean, they could, they I, I, I was kidding about the spanking, but I mean, when leagues suspend officials, they usually don't publicize it and maybe right. won't even acknowledge it. I remember years ago, there was a phantom pass interference call when Indiana was about to upset Michigan and Bill Mallory was the coach at the time for Indiana and he went crazy and the big 10 actually did acknowledge that they suspended that officiating crew because it changed the game. Yep. Um, I, I think it's usually those like game deciding plays and, and Notre Dame won. Yeah, it's and people but, just but general, there was a big difference. No, Duke ended up scoring on that drive. That right, yeah, it definitely the impacted the game for sure. And, and and it would have been starting on inside the one. Yeah, and uh, I, th- I think just in general, there's less ire over punt spots than. And it also looked to me like it was like they got the call right, even if they weren't supposed to be able to correct it. Like right. that ball probably was in the end zone. Um, well, but. it went over the pylon, which is by rule a touchback. If it touches the pylon or goes straight over the pylon, it's supposed to be a touchback, right? And um, Kirk Herb Street said it went over the pylon with the pylon cam, so I'm trusting that. <laughs> All right, uh, we have a question about recruiting, so that can that can uh, dovetail us into some of the recruiting. Uh, Jeffrey Stevens asked, uh, you, you, Ohio State was a huge recruiting weekend, but USC is coming up. Are there a few remaining 2024 targets for that weekend? Assume the following bye week will be heavy travel for the coaches to recruit. Okay, that's a Tyler question. That's <laughs> recruiting. Uh, yeah, I think that that will be the plan. There, there aren't, there isn't, at least to my knowledge, any 2024 re- recruits 
that have confirmed at least publicly that they're going to be here for the USC game. Notre Dame is working to get someone. I think in a perfect world, they would get Carter Nelson up to campus. Um, the tight end who's committed to Nebraska. Nebraska. Um, and I, I, my, I believe that they're working on some other guys that are committed elsewhere. Um, Caleb Beasley, certainly someone that they've been working on for a while. The cornerback committed to Tennessee. Um, Justin Scott, I, I don't hear any sort of positive rumbles um, as it relates to that. So I don't know that he'll get on campus, but I wouldn't rule anything out. But he seems pretty friendly. They can say Justin. Remember the Ohio State game? That was your spot. That's where you'll be. <laughs> if we just had you out there instead of nobody, we would have stopped Ohio State. Um, Davis, just on the 2024 front, Davis Andrews is announcing a commitment decision tonight. I expect him to pick Utah over Notre Dame. I've shared that with our subscribers on the Insider Lounge over the last few days. And uh, so we'll see if that is indeed what happens. Um, and so I think Notre Dame will continue to look for defensive tackles, cornerbacks, and, and maybe a tight end. And that seems to be what what they're, they're in the market for. We'll see if anything changes. But the 2024 class, for the most part, is is where Notre Dame wants it to be. It, it's as much making sure that no one poaches their guys as they're trying to poach some other guys as well. And then, yeah, the bye week gives Notre Dame staff a chance to travel some. Um, I, I haven't checked in on what that those itineraries look like, but we'll – We'll keep folks updated on the Insider Lounge message board and to our premium subscribers, which is a good opportunity to remind folks once again that if you use code NDYT, you can receive a 30-day free trial at InsideNDSports.com. Um, we're, we're offering that special to our YouTube audience, so please take advantage of that if you want to be in the know with all the football analysis and recruiting coverage that we provide um, for our premium subscribers. And I want to thank legacy heating and air for sponsoring us and tell you if you live in south bend talk to these people if you need a new air conditioner or furnace or air purifier or even if you have a different uh air conditioning or heating company and you need somebody to fix it these guys are amazing um it's what i have in my house i've never been happier with the company i can absolutely say that not just because they're sponsoring our show I used to brag about them before they sponsored our show. So, and and please subscribe, hit the bell, and do all those things that Tyler said at the beginning. Hit the bell, hit the thumbs up, send us some comments. Make yeah. sure you subscribe to the page. And thank you for whoever the 2,000 subscriber. Oh, yeah, we hit 2,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so for We that. wanted to give away fabulous prizes. We just don't know who it was. So if you want to... Uh, claim that you are, we'll try to come up with a prize. I don't think we ever heard from our 1,000th subscriber, at least the one that we What What, what did we suspected. offer them? I don't know. I think you were, we were said, you were said you would do something for them if they reached out to us, and they never reached out to us. Okay. So. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I've got if, – if, um, if you just recently subscribed, you can really convince me you were the 2,000th subscriber <laughs> – I have a 1966 Notre Dame football media guide. It's not autographed or anything. I can have Tyler autograph it. <laughs> no, no, no. That'll take the value down. Yeah, but <laughs> but I'll send that to you if if you were the 2000 subscriber. All right. I, ho I hope you get 2,000 people claiming to be the 2,000 subscriber. <laughs> <laughs> or just sign up now and then, then be yeah, the 2,000. Yeah, to start, we're going to start, we're gonna need is. proof that you subscribe to the YouTube page. So I'm going to make sure Eric doesn't doesn't get uh, bamboozled into giving away his media guy to, to someone who's uh, to an imposter. 
All right. Uh, well, that's all, all we have for you guys tonight. We will be back on Friday with our Place Your Bets predictions uh, for the Louisville game. And then we'll be back again with a, an early morning Sunday post-game takeaways that will be there for you when you wake up, assuming you're not awake as late as we are because we will be awake late once again. And that is it. And we hope you have a great week. Good night.